0: Welcome to the H.U. Pirate Ship Podcast. Welcome to the H.U. Pirate Ship Podcast. You can find us at www.hupirateship.com where we talk about the Pirates. It's episode 40 and I'm your host, Big Rick, along with Hampton Knight. It's been a couple weeks, man. How you feeling?
1: Oh, man, I'm just uh, glad to get back into the saddle, man. I mean, it's the ho- holiday season and, you know, just, you know, it's just winding down at work. So it's always good to talk about, you know, H.U. Sports.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, a whole lot to talk about. It seems like the universe has been shifting, <laughs> man, under our feet, man. So, <laughs> whole, whole yeah. lot's been going on with, with the program and and HBCU athletics in general. So, we're going to jump into it and talk about a lot of stuff here. So, yeah, on this show, man, we'll talk about Hampton's new football coach, Robert Frunty. Um, we'll close the book on Robert, uh, on um, Maynard. Uh, We'll talk about the other HBCU coaching options, at least uh, for the MiAC. that is. Uh, We'll give some uh, men's basketball updates, women's basketball updates, some final thoughts on the uh, Big South move now that it's had a chance to settle and sink in. And then um, just another thing, man, really talk about HBCU post-football life. It seems like football is changing as we're watching it. So just want to talk about you know, how that landscape might be shifting under our feet, uh, for, you know, especially for small schools. So we can talk about that a little bit and then talk about North Carolina A&T and their historic undefeated season at 12 and 0. But, the uh, question that Hampton and not Hamptonite and I are going to grapple with is, are they the best team that we've seen in the MEAC or say the past 20 years? So that should be an interesting segment. And then we'll give some shout outs at the end for some special people who've done some special things. So Uh, let's get right into it. Um, so Hampton hired Robert Prunty as the next head football coach. There was a whole lot of mystery about, uh, who would be the successor to, uh, Maynard. Um, but they found their man. Hampton found their man. Uh, he played at Hampton. He started out there, uh, I think in the late eighties, early nineties. He then transferred to Alabama A&M where he had a good career there. And, uh, and then he went on to coaching. I think we first started out as a correction, uh, corrections officer, and then he found some uh, coaching jobs at uh, Texas Tech, Cincinnati, East Carolina. Uh, he's a great recruiter. Um, he Scout.com recognized him as the conference's recruiter of the year four times where, where he was a coach, twice at Cincinnati and twice at Texas Tech, so the man can Sell water to a whale. That's exactly what we need. So, um, there was a whole lot of things surrounding this hiring him tonight. Like, what do you remember most about you know Prunty and and his hiring that whole process?
1: Well, the whole process, uh, I would say, was extremely. um, (laughs) It was a mess. Extremely (laughs) for what I would say. I mean, yeah, it was stressful. And the reason why I would say it was stressful is because. During the vetting process, when uh, our athletic director uh, Eugene Marshall, when he went out on record and said that you know some of the candidates that are we are interviewing are top level candidates, and unfortunately you know his athletic department leaks like um, um, <laughs> it, let's just say it, it leaks, mm. it leaks to the point where if. I had if I was under a concrete building and uh, a monsoon was happening I would still be wet <laughs> 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 and and I think um the the words that people were hearing were uh oh Joe Taylor's coming back uh alvin Alvin Wyatt is coming Mickey Matthews is coming um and then we heard Robert um well uh coach Prenti was the uh, was a front runner, was a dark horse candidate, and for a long time, a lot of people uh, on matter of fact, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of these, all of these uh, social media platforms, a frenzy started, and that frenzy, I would, I would say, caused the athletic department department to announce this uh, hiring early, and I think uh, a lot of people were a little bit. Nervous about this, and let me just say this too. Um, Pete, this is a very critical hire for Hampton because you do not want to come in the big south like Savannah State, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that or you don't want to be a doormat for people, you don't want people just to look at you like that. So, it was a very, very critical hire for Eugene and for the athletic department. And I hope that they got it right. I do like some facets about the um, um, Prunty. And um, when I saw the uh, press conference, the first thing I did think was, OK, he does kind of remind me of that old grizzled high school coach, you know, who he probably is a little short for words. His diction probably isn't the best, but he he seems to have a great communicative skill where he can, where it can translate to, you know, his players and our students. So that to me is something that I think that we need, you know, as a head football coach. And Eugene said he, um, our athletic director said he wanted a CEO style of coach. So that means uh, he needs an effective communicator. Somebody who says, this is what I want. And, I'm going to give you the players that could fit the schemes for what I want. You need to coach them up, and we need to all be on the same page. And another thing I noticed that I think that might work in our favor is the fact that he was a correctional officer, and he's a big man. And if you look at the coaches that are successful in the MEAC, the first one you're going to look at is Rod Broadway. And as I watched the celebration bowl, he gave some death stares to that <laughs> kicker. If yeah, you he did. There, <laughs> oh my God. Right after he missed that second field goal and they were walking into that tunnel. If you had, you can find it on YouTube, that game. He stared at him for like a good eight seconds. And I think if had that have been me, i I mean, I would have just melted away too. And, but the fact of the matter is Rob Broadway, you know, he's a grown man. And you and and I would say the next person I would say is Jerry Mack, grown man, and then Terry Sims, grown man, and and if you notice that those are the coaches that have won in the Miac, you know they are confident in who they are and what they are, and they articulate it to their players because their players are an extension of them, and if you see how Broadway's teams are, they're intelligent, they're physical, and they will beat you down same way with Jerry Mack's teams and same way, same way with Terry Sims' teams. They are extension of the players. And then when we saw Quanell Maynard's teams, they were up and down herky-jerky. And that is, I would say, indicative of who he was. So going back to Prunty, I'll just say it like this. The fact of the matter is I think we got a great person that could recruit. And I think that if, he is smart enough that he will keep some other coaches on staff. You know, I would love to keep catch him. I would love to keep Coach Dixon. I would even love to keep uh keep uh the uh offensive coordinator, Dwayne. You know, so I think that he does have some things that that will be beneficial for him. And plus this is not a two and ten program, this is a six and five program.
0: That's it. Yep, excellent, man. Excellent, excellent breakdown apprentice. I'll just reiterate couple things you said so just let's folks remember the good about Prentice an elite recruiter he's got big time experience coached uh in big schools he's won some big games or been been part of staffs so that've won big games and he's a great communicator especially to uh the folks he's going to be coaching uh the the football players so i think they'll hear his messages loud and clear now the bad you know every 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 hire has some issues So, uh, for Mm -hmm. Prunty, the things that, the thing that concerns me and and he said as much in so many words and and things I've read, he's not the, a tactician. Um, he said, he said himself when he's tried to overthink things and out scheme folks that hasn't worked out too well, he just tries to get the best talent and let them do their thing, which is what you should do, but at least he recognizes that, but that may come down to, to bite us and at some, some points, but I'm sure he'll be learning as he, as he, uh, Uh, evolves into a head coach. And his defenses were never that great, especially at uh, East Carolina. Now, from what I'm reading about that, there were some extenuating circumstances there. So I think he just, you know, tried to do the best he could under the circumstances. But on his record and on his watch, uh, the defenses weren't great there. But I think we can overcome these things, these deficiencies with a great coaching staff like Hampton Knight said. I think there are some good folks on currently on the payroll that he can, uh, retain and, um, and, and keep the ball rolling. Um, but you know, we'll see how that goes and we'll see how he, you know, we handle close games where you have to strategize and, and can out muscle folks. So, but I think, you know, I think, I think we got potential here and especially if he can bring in the talent and make some inroads and bring in talent in the Hampton Roads area, I think will be all right. <laughs> 'Cause I watched the Big South man. I mean, you see their their playoff games, um, they had two teams in the playoffs this year and I just watched them. I mean, it's a good conference. Even though it's small, it's uh you gotta come and swing it if you wanna win. So uh Prenti's gonna have he has his work cut out for him uh next year. Um so yeah, man, it'll be interesting next year. What are your final thoughts on, on uh Connell Mayner? Um for me, man, you know, I think he was a great a great I think offensive mind I think if he was just a offensive coordinator I think he would be great um, it, he did not seem to be able to run an entire team a complete program at the D1 level um, just about every year the special teams were crap And um, but I do wish that um, it was able to work out because he came in with such fanfare and I, and I had hope man I had hope so I, I am a little sad that it didn't work out too well but He'll land somewhere. I heard he was looking for, had his name in the, in the ring for a couple jobs. Um, the fact that he didn't get them is interesting. I'm sure, I'm, I wonder what kind of reference he's getting from uh, our athletic director. But at any rate, he'll eventually land somewhere, especially potentially at another D2 school because he can put an offense together and, and score some points. So what are your thoughts on Maynard, man? Good, bad, and different?
1: Um, I'm not going to say it different because I do not want to see another person, you know, leave, you know, a university, you know, even though he was not fired. You know, he probably would have had he went <laughs> went up to the athletic director's office. Um, I will say this. I think that if Con- Connell, if you are listening, this was a learning uh, step for you. You know, I mean, when you were at Winston-Salem State, you know, you had. You had the university's ear to everything, you know, you ran that university and then you took that swagger up to Hampton. And then I think in that swagger, I've noticed that a lot of the coaches that you brought in, you know, treated the MEAC as if it was, you know, like it was going to be less than the CIAA. And you learned pretty quick that <laughs> we have good coaches here in the MEAC. And um, your advantages that you had in the C.I.A.A. did not work at the D1 level. Well, I'll say D1 AA level or the F.C.S. level. But um, I think that he seemed to be a great, just like you said, a great offensive mind. But he could not put a whole game plan together. And, uh, now I'm not saying if you're just an offensive guy, you you have to, you know, some know some stuff on the defense. But certain things I think that we should have done. We should have recruited, you know, certain defensive players more, you know, defensive linemen. You know, we did like late into his tenure and we were it seemed that we always had a flashy new running back, uh, a speed demon wide receiver, you know, or a um, and I will say this, too. He never got the quarterback that he wanted. And then in all of that, you know, it just shows that there were certain things that were very incomplete about him. There was nothing that I would say that was very complete about him, except for his offensive prowess. You know, he didn't have a quarterback. He had JJ Williamson, who I thought he did a great job with, but you know, he was just extremely limited. Then I think his key for the future was Jarrell Antoine, but he could not stay academically ineligible. And I, and I will say, you know, that is pretty much the fault of the coach. And the reason why I say that is because he had numerous red flags before he signed signed with the university. So when you have, you know, these type of things, that means that the program was not running tip-top. And I just think he did leave it better than the Don Rose era, you know, but Don Rose did go 8-3. and three. Conor Maynard, the best he could do was muster was six six, six wins, five losses. So I'll just say it like this. He, ah, He was just basically a timekeeper for the program. And right now, we don't need a timekeeper as we leave this program. We need somebody that could seriously... You know help us build this program and I'll be honest you know a lot of things did not work for us favor you know I would say mainly the facilities you know or maybe the pay you know because everybody knows Hampton don't pay so those things don't work and I understand that and so I would just say this too that you know going forward that for the next coach he needs something to you know that he can hang his hat on you can just scream you can't scream academics all day because hell william and mary is an academic institution and they really look good you know Mm -hmm. so that's that's pretty much it with connell
0: yep yep moving on thanks thanks coach uh yeah he, he i think he had put the ship in the right direction i am interested to know maybe we'll have a conversation next year about this but like who's coming back like any what 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 are we hanging our hat on for next year so uh, that'll be an interesting discussion in combination with prunty's new recruits so we shall see man so along those new lines coaches man a lot of coaches got fired or left this year in the Miac. um jerry mack he left central for rice as to be their offensive coordinator They promoted uh, Granville Eastman. I think he's their defensive coordinator, I think, almost sure. So he got promoted. Uh, Delaware State fired their head coach and their athletic director. Uh, FAMU lost Alex Woods. And Morgan State fired their head coach. Also has been said that Coach Pugh was on the hot seat, but he got a year extension. Uh, Seems like Norfolk State is uh, not completely in love with... uh, uh, Scott, right now. So to me, our coaching positions are in flux now, man. I mean, uh, and and, and family did they did replace their coach? I for, forgot exactly with who. But what do you think is leading to these coaching fires? I mean, can any of these programs actually win with a new coach? Like, is it a program issue with these schools, or is it a coaching issue? Um, I would say first I'm gonna say it's a program
1: issue, and the reason why I say that. Well, I will say it it varies from school to school, because if we go to Delaware State, you know, that's definitely a program issue. You know, Alavon, Alavon, you know, he was (laughs) he took that that program to where, you know, places where it never had been in a long time. And. He could not keep that momentum because if you look at, I mean, Delaware State, you know, they really have to think about, even though they have the largest budget in the MIAC, they really have to think about what they're going to do at Alumni Stadium there. You know, that stadium. Place is terrible, man. It's terrible. Yeah, it's, thank you. It's terrible. I wasn't going to say that, but it was, it's abominable. (laughs) And, (laughs) And then they play in, I would say, a junior high school gym, you know. I mean, that is a junior. It's not even high school. That's a junior high school gym, you know. And that's I'm talking about basketball. So I think that for them, it is, you know, you can have those little cute little black and blue and red uniforms all you want, but your facilities are not on par with your vision. And I think that they really need to think about what they're going to do going forward. Now, I'm not saying dropping down to D2, but at the same time, they got to think about something. <laughs> and then I would go uh, to Morgan State, you know, where they fired uh, – I forgot his name. Uh, uh, whatever his name is. He, you know, he's irrelevant because he ain't there no more. So and I don't. <laughs> they mean were 1 in 10, bad. right? Yeah, yeah, and I don't Only mean bad. it in a bad way. I, I think for Morgan, it's a coaching issue. And the reason why I say that is because – they did win uh, with the uh, coach that did oh, that bolted from them. Uh, they did one to with the coach that took that job and went straight to the NFL with it. Mm-hmm. So and I, I love Hughes stadium. It's a beautiful stadium. You know, you can, w- you can walk in and look right down onto the field. You know, there's a parking deck that overlooks it. It's a beautiful stadium. So, no, they don't have a program issue and their basketball teams are always competitive, especially with Todd Bozeman. So that is not a program issue that's just a coaching issue and i think that they'll probably correct it just by getting rid of that coach who went one in ten um who else was it famu um that's kind of a con okay famu is a, a, a classic study of hbcuism and the reason why i say that is they are riddled with, they used to be riddled with nepotism you know uh everybody knows about that i don't even have to explain that and i think that they, uh, they did, they lost their AD who uh, moved over to Kennesaw State for a bigger, you know, that's a bigger and more robust program. And he actually was putting in measures in place so that FAMU could be very competitive facility facility wise, you know, in the coming futures with like a new uh, field house with new stands in the back, you know, on the I think it's the south end zone. And then there were plans to uh, to uh, I guess build up the stadium around the uh, on on the outside of the stadium, you know, where you know like some sort of brick and mat, you know, and I think yeah. that would have
0: those know, renderings was, were nice for that for the facility. Renderings are beautiful, and
1: I just think that I guess the alumni base gave them a hard time about it, you know, and and you know we we've had that issue here, you know, when we bought that uh, bought that downtown story building in Hampton. You know, it's a seven-story building, and everybody thought we were like, who are we, Donald Trump? But anyway, going back to um, going back to FAMU, I, I thought that Alex Woods literally, he, next season, he would have turned the corner because they were in every game that they played. I just think that they just did not have, uh, I mean, they were missing certain things at certain positions. Like, they have the best quarterback. I love them. I love Brandon Norwood. Uh, I did. They did have some pretty good receivers. Their offensive line was hit or miss every now and then, but their defense was abominable. And I think the defense pretty much was what lost Alex Wood. What Alex? Um, what basically got everybody fired really? And because um, their offense always fought, you know. So I think for them, it's a combination of I would say. Uh, a poor athletic administration is always in flux I think this is like this sixth athletic director in like I don't know like what ten years well, eight eight or ten years you know and they had one who was Kellen Winslow you know who had no experience and was just like uh, just you know to, he was a Donald Trump of athletic directors then you had uh, I think one I think that uh, had a uh, that passed while he was in the uh, while he was you know the current the acting ad so that is just that the whole thing is a mess with the administration and the program um
0: and then we had uh what other programs were there i think that's it uh yeah famu morgan delaware state and central oh yeah and pew pew's on the hot seat so this might be like you his, know what his farewell this tour th-
1: this is, and this is, dumb. okay, South Carolina State. Let's be honest, okay? Yeah, they're crazy, man. They're very crazy. He's won you, what, three MAC championships and has been competitive for the past, what, 15, 15, uh, 16 years? Mm-hmm. And you think you want to let him go? Now, it's either that or the fact that he pro- his salary probably commands so much that they probably want to see if they can get a... Uh, see if they get get a new younger guy in here who would take not half, but a lot less than what they're paying this man just so they could just, you know, either cut costs. It's South Carolina State is struggling. I don't think they're going to go to D2 like probably within the next five or 10 years, maybe 10 years. But, you know, I think it's more a little deeper than just Buddy Pugh, you know, because honestly, yeah, people are not people are showing up at the games but I think it's just deeper than just what Buddy Pugh is. So I I would say that's more of a program issue because Oliver C. Dawson is a beautiful stadium. You know, Bulldog Pride is always, you know, great. So
0: that has nothing to do with Pugh. It has everything to do with school. Yeah, man, it it seems like the larger school issues are affecting him. and, And I guarantee... If they, once they get rid of him, if they're dealing with the same issues, they will not win. Um, because, Absolutely. you know, what what I've seen, I'm trying to refresh my memory, but I'm trying to think of a successful Miak coach who's left and the team has, like, won a championship the next year or the following year. I'm trying, the closest might be Bethune-Cookman, but they didn't have a whole lot of success. Yeah. I mean, they were good, but I'm talking about, like, Joe Taylor, Judd, Buddy Pew type guys. I mean... It, it it's so hard to navigate the h u not the, not even hampton but the h b c u administrative processes yeah. all those landmines and yeah. once you once you got some cachet or you got some credibility then you can you know roll over those landmines but when you're coming in new man you you gotta you that you're not getting anything and it's hard to see somebody new come in and and when I just I'm trying to remember who's done it, I I really can't remember who's replaced a legend in one at an HBCU in my in my lifetime, past 20 25 years. So yeah. they will rule absolutely. the Absolutely. <laughs> Where he <are you> going? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, man, it should be an interesting year for us in our at least in our non-competitive year with all these new coaches next year in the, in the meac So that would be interesting. So let's hop on to basketball real quick, man. I mean, I guess we're all waiting for Miac play before things get really interesting. Uh, the men's basketball team is struggling. I have to say I'm disappointed. I thought they would be much better this year. I don't know why. Well, no, I know why. They had a lot of talent com- coming back. They still have a lot of talent. And I thought it would just mesh better. And the schedule hasn't been murderous. They should have beaten a lot of these teams they've played against. Um, but first of all, condolences out to the Joyner family, uh, coach uh, Buck Joyner. He lost his, his, his father, uh, Ed Joyner Sr., Ed Joyner, Senior. so um, condolences to him and that whole basketball program. Um, but that, uh, notwithstanding, it's been a pretty disappointing start for the men as far as I can see. Uh, they're 4-8, and eight, and they are 1-8 against Division One competition. Uh, and they're just missing something, missing some bulk, some size, and they just can't get stops when they need to. Can't get shots at the end the games. Most of them have been competitive, but they need to win these games. I mean, these, these are third and fourth year guys, and you thought they would be a little bit more competitive. Uh, but, and they may play again, better against the MIAC. I think their issues, I mean, the MIAC's pretty good, so they're not going to run over people. So I hope they can get their issues figured out, but, uh, they got Malik Trent coming, and hopefully the new players can mesh and they can be more competitive. But, and any quick thoughts on the men's basketball team and their start?
1: Um. Well, I'm just going to say condolences to the Joyner family, just like you. I mean, I think that was would have shaken anybody up, you know. And if that would have been my father, you know, who would have, you know, was volunteering with me, you know, I think I wouldn't be in the right place. Even with the coaches and the students who saw, you know, saw uh, saw him like, you know, every day at practice, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, I think that, you know, is, is very hard for them. And, you know, and to be honest, I mean, I would that would be a, I would give a pass for that, you know, that, you know, death like that is, you know, very hard to overcome. Um, but I will just say this, too. I mean, this team has been scrappy, you know, the, um, for the majority of the games. You know, if you look at the, uh, the last three games, you know, we lost the, we lost to Gardner-Webb by 1.80 to 79. Then we lost to Missouri State late, you know, 88 to 75, and to Coastal Carolina by 4, 85 to 81, you know. We just have not been able to put these games away. So the talent is there. It's just that we just have not figured out what it is we need to do to actually to finish the game, and I think a lot of it, you know, has to do with you know we did get uh, we did pick up I think what Austin Colbert you know uh, um, on offense, and um, I just think that you know for. The players that are there, especially for Jermaine Marrow, he's going, He, you know, he has, I would say, sometimes a wild and reckless streak. And I think sometimes it does hurt, you know, a team that, you know, needs to play disciplined basketball at certain points in the game. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I do see that, you know, we do have Appalachian State coming up. And, you know, then we got, uh, we got a serious gimme with a team called Texas Rio Grande Valley. If we don't win the game, then, uh, then we in trouble. Then, you know, then the MEAC play starts up. So, you know, you can never tell. But I just do think that uh, the team basically is struggling. And a lot of the stuff I say it has
0: to do with, you know, what just transpired a few weeks back. Yeah, that's true, man. You know, that, that is a good positive outlook on, on what's to come and, and what's happened, um, you know, and, 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 you know, just watching the rest of the MIAC. I mean, we haven't had, at least it doesn't appear as if we've had a lot of great out-of-conference wins like we've had in the past couple of years, so uh, hopefully we can pick it up. It seems, it seems like a, little, a slower year for the conference than what we were expecting. We were expecting Morgan State to be a little more dominant. And they're struggling as well, even though they're picking up a little bit, so it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I can't wait for this is our Swan song, right? Our last year, of MEAC basketball. So we gotta <laughs> win and <laughs> do well. Yeah. Pretty yeah, soon we'll be I going to Campbell. <laughs> nah and, and high I mean, well, that that that's
1: closer to you. I'm not going there. Yeah, <laughs> I might yeah, I mean, hell, I didn't even see them when they played George Washington, and that's, you know, literally around the corner for me. But,
0: um, I mean, but,
1: uh, yeah, I'm just letting that go.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're we, we going to jump right into that right after we talk about the women's team. So, the women, their their record is doesn't look good. It's not on paper, yeah. especially they are 2-6. and six. They got their big win at UNC. They've been battling some injuries. Seems like folks are kind of getting healthy. Um, From watching their games, a lot of games have been online. Um, The second quarters, man, kill them. So I think they come out, you know, the way six pressures the ball and uh, they put so much pressure on the ball, they kind of run out of gas in the second quarter and they don't have the bench. So when they're going against these other teams, Temple or what have you, uh, they have just a little bit more depth. And second quarter, we run out of gas. Seems like every game. And then they get a break at halftime and then they struggle back. Tie it up, and then they, you know, try and finish at the end. But that's what I've been seeing. Uh, is they just need a little bit more depth, a little bit more uh, contributions from their bench, and they'll be okay um, if they can stay healthy and if they can get another player or two to come off the bench. They will run the MEAC from what I've seen. They will run the MEAC if they can do those two things. So I'm more hopeful uh, for the women's team based on what I've seen. Man, it's my hopeful. Uh, is that is that accurate, Hampton Knight? Should I be hopeful? Well,
1: I would definitely say um, it's good to be hopeful. I mean, they do have some <laughs> star power on that uh, that roster. You know, Alina Starr, Stephanie Brown, you know, these are really good players there. And, you know, um, some of these, and, you know, just like, you know, we did, have the, we did suffer from the injury bug early. Some of them are coming back. I do think that... Uh, Teams are team like after the UNC win where we uh, beat them at at home, you know other play other teams like Elon, you know <laughs> they 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 were ready for us. You yeah, know? they so were. So we they couldn't. Were. We weren't. We weren't. You know, we weren't going to sneak up any on anybody. And to be honest, Hampton is uh, sixes teams have been notorious for sneaking up on a lot of opponents. So. You know, the word has been out on David Six for the past, I would say, three years now. They know about Hampton, they know about his program, and they know that you just can't just show up, you know, when the lady pirates just walk in there. So I think a lot of the times is we, uh, there, um, and I would say that sometimes a lot of that defensive pressure that they put on, you know, it, t- it slows them down on offense, you know, you know, because I've noticed that, you know, some of the sets that they would uh, start up, the, the, the power forward and the force, you know, take forever for them to, you know, come back because they just blocked the shot or, you know, they uh, played uh, a full 20, uh, uh, 35 second clock. And so now they're getting back on offense and they're winded. So, i think that certain that that arkansas style of defense that 40 minutes of hell sometimes you know it just wears down you know our lady pirates so i just think that you know it will it'll be effective in the MiAC, but sometimes when you're going up against players that are the same caliber or if not better you know it's very difficult you know to be successful Mm.
0: right on man right on so yeah, they're gonna be fine. I, I'll be looking forward to it. And actually, I'm gonna be at that MiAC tournament. I can't wait to see that. That should be a nice, a nice show uh, for the Pirates' bas- men's and women's basketball team. So
1: you know what, I might as well go now. Then. If, yeah, you know, man, if this last is, time, man. You know, you know what, I've always wanted to see how it is in Norfolk. I've been to the Scope Arena uh, numerous times, but I want to see it too. So I'm definitely yeah. going.
0: I went two years ago, and it was fun. It was, it was a good. It was a good time. So, uh, we can meet up there. We get some press passes or something and <laughs> get close to <laughs> action. So, uh, hey, big question, man. Big question. The Big South moves. So, everybody knows Hampton's going to the Big South. So, we've had some time to let it sink in, think about the pros and cons. The more I think about it, the more I hate it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I just ain't feeling it. It's like, yeah, we're going to Big South. You know, you try to be, what's says the, the stages of grief? You know, I'm, I'm almost at acceptance. I'm not there yet. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, you know, I don't have yeah. any choice. But uh, I'm not really feeling it, man. I, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not seeing it. But uh, what do you think, man? I mean, what what do you how do you feel about the move and the conference? Uh first of all, I mean, I'm not
1: really. I'm not really excited about it. And I think it's because once you get out of the HBCU sphere, you know, or HBCU universe, you know, you are basically a floating uh, planet that's just out there and with no solar system. And I do think that um, going to the Big South, you know, we have to start, start, you know, we have to try and see what kind of uh, teams that we would actually be rivals with, you know? How do how does our fan base mesh, mesh with another fan base? You know, and, you know, I see Campbell, Charleston Southern, Gartner-Webb, High Point, Liberty. I know they won't be there long. And, uh, you know, Presbyterian and Monmouth and uh, Winthrop, you know? And my first thought is, does it excite me to see them play, you know, for us to play them either basketball or football, you know? At this moment, no. And I think for us, you know, being a fact that we're so used to having, you know, our the culture of HBCU atmosphere, you know, the absence of it will be a little bit difficult. But I will say this too in um, about the Big South. When I went to a couple of Hampton games this year and one of the Hampton games that I did go to was Hampton versus Monmouth. And that was a pretty decent game, you know, Yeah. and I, I had a good time there, but I do think that, you know, I, I would say that I will, I, I mean, it is intriguing. I do like the fact that we probably will be able to see more Hampton games, you know, on their, uh, their big South live streaming network. You know, I do like that, but to, to give up, you know, playing the Battle of the Bay twice, you know, in basketball, you know, that's hard. You know, that's very hard for me. You know, I know we'll probably still have play Howard in Norfolk State, you know, maybe A&T, you know, uh, on, on a round-robin basis. But that really, you know, like not having those guys there hurts. And I do uh, think that, I, I mean, I look at Tennessee State. And when they play Murray State, Tennessee Tech, or whoever it is that they play, you know, these are programs that, you know, for as long as they've been in the, the, was it, Ohio Valley Conference, you know, they really don't have any rivals. You know, their rival is FAMU and Jackson State, really. And I I think that it does, it. I mean, they, but I'll say this: they have probably some of the best athletes in HBC football in all sports. But it just does not translate to, I think, fan satisfaction. And I do think that Hampton fans will just be, you know, they'll be intrigued at first, but then after a while, the luster will erode from it, and they're going to start, you know, quietly yapping about, man, can we play A and T every now and then? Can we play Central? You know, I mean. But, and i am be honest, though, I would have liked this move more if some MEAC schools came with this, you know, to be honest. Let's say if A&T came and Central came, and let's say A&T, FAMU, A&T, Hampton, and maybe Central came. I'll be cool with it. Yeah, that'd you be know, cool. Because I'm like, okay. Cause I'm like, okay, we can still play our schedule, but we're going to see A&T, we're going to see Central, and we're definitely going to see Howard and Norfolk State. Bet. I'm like, okay, the rest of the games, I like, but the fact of the it matter is, it's just us. And to be honest, though, I mean, there is a racial act, um, aspect to it. But I, to me, you know, I think a lot of the Miac fans, listeners, I mean, posters that we, you know, we deal with, you know, saying that, how would it feel when you go to a, a big South school and they call you the N word? I'm like, ah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. You know, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Not especially now with no HBC, I don't even get I don't even care if it's a fancy school like Hampton, you know. That's just not going to happen. And they're not going to walk on Hampton's campus acting like that either. <laughs> you know, that's just a level of respect, you know, that's for all universities. So, I just think that, you know, just to sum it up, I just think that we probably will be hard-pressed to find a rival for us, and I think that will hurt us more. And I think that it would help us more if more schools from the MEAC joined the Big South. And yeah, I mean- man.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, for the the number one question that I I, I hear people say, you know, when they talk about this, at least in like Hampton fans, like, will we still be able to play our rivals? Like, um, you know, this is, like you said, that's very important to try and maintain those relationships because. You know, I'm looking at the the members here. We got Campbell, Coastal Carolina, Gardner-Webb, High Point, Liberty, Longwood, Presbyterian, Radford, Winthrop, Kennesaw State, Monmouth. Um, It's interesting. It's kind of like a hodgepodge. But, you know, the good, the positive is if you're living here, you know, kind of like I am, there's a lot of teams that you can go watch Hampton play but you know none of them get the the, the blood flowing you know it's just going to be hey let me go and support yeah. them because they are relatively close so it, one thing they got to do tonight is they have to win um they have to <laughs> they yeah have to win like football yeah. that's going to be a bigger challenge because um I mean the the football teams in the big south are good um, but the other teams I think they can win it, but they got to win because you want to see people check out start losing start losing and then you got Campbell coming to the Convocation Center in February <laughs> you know on the on a Tuesday night I mean good luck with that so but you know if you bring in Morgan State you know almost not, no matter what the record people can come watch that so We'll we'll see, man. They they gotta win, but so far I'm I'm kind of mum mum on the move, but I still support. But I I I'm not feeling it yet. Maybe when when it when it gets closer to coming to fruition. I, I
1: agree. I agree with that, and I think a lot of the times when you know when people were saying that uh uh that this was a Dr. Harvey move or whatever, you know, and it reminds me of the time where. What Malcolm X says when he talks about the house Negro and the field Negro, you know, the, the house Negro, uh, the field Negro, well, the house Negro got basically everything that was that the master gave him. He got good clothes. He lived in the attic, you know. And I'm not now I'm not calling H- uh, our dear, our dear, beloved leader, Doctor Harvey, any of that. I'm just saying is that sometimes, you know. And then there's a field Negro. The field Negro basically just, you know, he was basically treated terribly. And then when he wanted to run away, and he spoke to the house Negro, and the house Negro says, "Well, uh, you yeah, run away, you know, from this good master? No." And I just think that you know people look at it like this, or like, or they also look at it like you know when you know people move into an uh, when black folks in the in the in the twenties and thirties used to move into these these very uh, exclusive white neighborhoods, and they used to brag about, I'm the only one out here, you know? <laughs> I think, it ha- you know what I'm saying? It has a little bit element of that in it, you know? Or that that one black person that works at that one good that has a great job, I'm the only one on my job.
0: You <laughs> know? It,
1: it has the element of that in here, you know, the fact that we're in the Big South sports. We're in the Big South sports, you know? And when, <laughs> you know, I mean, and we got ridiculed for that, you know. And I'm going to be honest, I kind of get tired of, you know, kind of defending that, you know. Because, you know, being, I would say, a Pan-Africanist, you know, I'm always about seeing the Miak, you know, get better. But at the same time, though, you know, if the MEAC going to fall apart, then at the end of the day, I do not want to be on the ship that's sinking.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, Ed, well, you know, it's our podcast, so we can... You know take a left turn if we want to so of course you know I i named my son after malcolm malcolm x so yeah he's one of my favorite americans uh, in history for many reasons um but yes a field negro versus house negro is one of his most famous speeches but see this is where he was a little bit wrong there you know like from my readings of history like some of the most dangerous slaves were the house Negroes. <laughs> right? Because they had access. Yes. They were cooking masses food. They were poisoning massa. They had access to everything. So if they, they knew they could travel, more likely to travel between plantations so they could circulate words. They could find out <laughs> when it's a good time to leave and defect. So a lot of times the the house Negroes are the most dangerous Negroes. So you know, always beware of the slave period, but you know the house Negro wasn't always a chump either. <laughs> you know? Oh
1: my God, if Malcolm X or if Brother El Haj Malik Shabazz was here today, oh my God, that would be a great conversation. But you're <laughs> yes. right, though.
0: Yeah, man. I used to say, you know, I always identify with the field Negro. You know, I even have a T-shirt on it. <laughs> I have a T-shirt that says "Son of a Field Negro" because my dad was definitely. Uh, a, a field Negro and, and proud of it but you know you know that the house Negro wasn't as docile as people thought that the house Negro was at times so interesting man hopefully we ain't going out like that hopefully we're gonna go there and win and kick ass <laughs> man we ain't
1: I mean they say our athletic budget is comparable to the top three schools there but I mean to be honest uh, I mean we, we if we could barely win MEAC football and you know our our programs right now two and six. I mean in basketball two and six and four and eight. Then ooh.
0: But you know, at day, hey, as as we're recording this, and I just saw a score a score flash across my screen. it saw so Norfolk State just beat the crap out of Campbell's women's basketball team. So you know we yeah we we I think in the other sports we'll compete. Basketball they got some pretty good teams like Winthrop. Winthrop, but we'll compete. Football, I don't know, man. I mean, this guy got to recruit. That's it. Got to recruit. Yeah, boy, you better, you better bring in some Dontavis or yeah, whatever. Yeah, man. Man. that's right. <laughs> you better go into Phoebus, man. Get them, get that, get those yeah. kids that are, you know, borderline, and get some. Little, borderline. Can we bring back, we bring back the Hugger Thug? Can we bring that back?
1: Nah, that ain't coming. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't
0: coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got in too much trouble for that. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. We still recover from that, but uh, it, it'll be an interesting move, man, to the Big South. So let me let me let me ask you a question here, man. Uh, North Carolina a they had a great season, went undefeated, twelve and zero. They had a great win over uh, Grambling in the Celebration Bowl. Uh, good game, hard-hitting game, well played. Um, good production, kudos, nice stadium, all that stuff. Um, of the past twenty years, twenty twenty-five years, that's when like it seems like we've both been watching really Miac football intently. Um, how would you compare them to some of the better teams uh, of the past twenty years? So I thought about this right because you know a and uh a t is undefeated I was like okay they're undefeated mm-hmm. you know, but they're undefeated because they didn't go to playoffs um yeah. if they'd gone to playoffs they had the talent to definitely get a win, but in all likelihood um, they may have they would have struggled against someone and ultimately lost so put that undefeated uh season with an asterisk so I thought about hey comparing them to some of the other great teams of the past twenty twenty five years um I have my top four. Um, you wanna go through my top four or go through your top four, see if we have any agreement on or how do you wanna how do you wanna approach this, man? What do you, what are your thoughts on how do you compare them to some of the great teams of the past twenty, twenty five years in the MEAC? Let's go
1: to your top teams first and um I'll give you mine.
0: Okay, cool. I'm gonna start off with some uh as a homer, um, of course Hampton has some great teams under Joe Taylor late 90s mid 2000s for me the best team probably was the 2006 pirates now they had better team before that record wise the team before was 11 and 1 but this 2006 pirate team was 10 and 2 now this team sent five to the combine eight and eight guys made nfl camps after that year and they should have beat new hampshire in the first round uh, to get that playoff win. I mean, they were rolling, man. They should have won that game. But we all know that fourth down conversion uh, for the running back out of the backfield. That really Jamari! That game. Yep, Jamari! That was a, that was,
1: yeah, that was a call, yeah,
0: by Rob Dixon. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, man. So, But to me, that was the most talented t- I'm talking about, like, talented teams. Like, just by watching, like, damn, this team's nice. So for me, that's the best team that I've seen. Um, uh, in the MIAC of the past twenty years. Next, I will put this A and T team. I mean, they smoked everybody. I mean, that quarterback is nice. That wide receiver they got is nice to fill in for. Um, uh, the running back just slipped my mind. Who's like doing work in- for Chicago? He's nice. They got the yeah. Brandon Tariq Parker Cohen. At- yeah, Tariq Cohen. He's killing them. They got Brandon Parker at the left tackle, who's dominant. The defense is fast and like athletic. I mean, it's a solid team. Dope coaching. Very impressed with this A&T team. So they're the second best team that I've seen. Third for me, I have to go with the 1999 Rattlers. I've seen those guys play with my own eyes. And I think it's hard to find information about them because I think this was the team that was penalized. So almost like all the records have been struck from the record books. But they got two playoff wins that year. Um, but that's when they had Billy Joe and he just throw the ball all over the place I mean they were I remember those teams kicking butt and then also that 1999 a t team they were 11-2 that year and they also got a playoff win over Tennessee State but they were nasty man I mean that 99 team I remember they had that running back I can't remember his name but they were dominant as well so for me just to recap 2006 Pirates this a t team 99 Rattlers, 99 a Those are my top four teams that I've seen in the past 20, 25 years out of the MiAC. So, what do you think, Hampton? What, what's your list looking like?
1: You know what? That was a great list, and I'll just say like this: I will definitely start with the 2006 Hampton team that did go 10 and 2. Yeah, we did. We sent five players to the combine. It was Alonzo Coleman, Justin Durant, Trevaris Bain. Andrea jones and marquay mcdaniel and of those five that it went to the con- combine i think what two are still in the league well one is in canada uh marquay mcdaniel has turned into the i would say the oh <laughs> the greg jennings of cfl football you know he's he's been there since 2000 and what seven 2006 yeah. i he's mean setting records years. too setting records and he's still there you know i wouldn't say he's jerry rice so but you know if i could find a, a bear no he's donald driver of the CFL <laughs> right now you know, <laughs> you know and um he's uh he's amazing and justin durant he still plays for the uh for the cowboys um, Dallas cowboys and then we talk about the eight uh guys who made uh nfl camps you know there's alonzo coleman Derek faulkner then there's a the the safety that we had uh fair you know mm-hmm. he made the Chiefs and then you know of course you had Bain with uh the cardinals jones with the texans mcdaniel with the broncos and then out of all of that you know all of these guys you know either made the team or the practice squad so that was a very good uh, program and they were ranked number two in the nation at the time. Hey, so, let me throw in one more so, thing. Yeah. You mentioned
0: you, something you made me remember. Also, on that team was Kendall Langford, who was went in the what, yes. second round next year, and Dixon wasn't yeah. Dixon on that team too? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. God, they were both yeah, on man. the team, and he went to the yeah. Cowboys,
1: and, and he went to the Cowboys. You know, uh Langford, I think he might, I think he's out of the league just by last year. And Dixon, you know, now who's a coach at Hampton, you know, was in the league for five, five, five years and a couple in the CFL. And, you know, then we forget they had Vernon – uh, Vern, not Vernon Davis, Vernon Adams, I think. He actually went to the Rams and kind of stuck around for a little bit. You know, so they had a lot of players on that team, you know, and that – an unfortunate loss to, you know, New Hampshire. And, and, the, and the funny thing about it is in that loss – on that, that fourth and 26-yarder, you know, the offensive quarter who drew up that play was Chip Kelly.
0: Yep, yep. I <laughs> remember where I was crazy. sitting watching that play, man. <laughs> crazy, sick, crazy.
1: Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, of course. You know, and I remember I was working as a stockbroker at E-Trade, and I was listening to it as I was placing trades, and I was just sick talking to clients and sick but then i (laughs) but then my second team i will go with the 1999 rattlers i think that was the quinn uh quinn gray team you know they were that team was they were running up points on you know and that, that was like the very first version of the spread offense that i had seen you know uh there was a billy joe uh offense you know it was the gulf coast offense and you know it was you know it was a succession of like quick um slant like routes and then you know then they'll hit you over the top with a uh, a big goal route you know and they they utilize uh i think they used to call themselves a the rack boys because they literally they literally were great at running after the catch and the routes that uh that joe taylor drew i mean joe billy joe drew up were designed for them to get a lot of rack yardage so you know that offense you know that team was a very good team then I would say uh, the teams that uh, came a little bit before that 99 Rattlers, I would say I think like the 96 uh, Rattlers and the 95 Rattlers, and that was with Oteeman Sampson. And they had Jacque Nunley. Those teams were really good. They were just, now I remember I went to a FAMU homecoming when I was in high school, when they played Morgan State. They put 70 on the board, 70 on the board on Morgan State. And that was just a huge blowout win. And then I would say um, the Bethune Cookman uh, years with when I think they had Patel Troutman at quarterback. I think that was, I think that maybe a two thousand team or a ninety nine team. Uh, it was, it was no, it wasn't ninety nine. I think it, either ninety. It was one of those years where they went to the Heritage Bowl. That was that was when we had the the Wirebone, which is. Wreaking havoc in the Miac, and then the last team, the A team, I would say that they were a good team, and they did win a playoff win against Tennessee State. So I really don't even call that a playoff win, you know. So I do think that this A and T team was good. I just think that I, you know, they did beat some quality opponents. You know, they did beat Charlotte, and they beat some other play, um, other uh, opponents. I think that they were an uh, intelligent team, a physical team, and I think that you know them playing Grambling. I think Grambling was just all speed, so I would put them maybe in the top ten, but definitely not top five. Maybe top fifteen, to be honest.
0: Stupid. But yeah, man, that's a nice uh, list, man. We're gonna we're gonna put that list on the, uh, Miak fans, and that's gonna send the Aggie fans into a tailspin. So <laughs> they're like, no, why talk about that Aggie? So. No yeah,
1: it's all good. I mean, they do remember the Lee Fives era and the Alonzo Lee era. Yeah, so, but, no, that era I didn't mean, happen, got... man. What
0: are you talking about? That, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: we always been nice, right? we always been winners. Y'all need to get like exactly. us.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh,
0: let's see. Let's watch when Broadway retires. You heard my theory earlier on. Watch when Broadway retires. So enjoy it now. Let's... So, shout outs tonight, man. And anybody needs to be uh called out in particular on this show, man. Good, bad, and different, not different, but you know, any good or bad shout outs.
1: I'm Tiger Pride and I'm I, I want you to hear this literally. I mean, you are a troll. You know, I've seen you on the other message boards doing that same same BS that you are doing literally son grow up you know you always talk about hampton and this little bitty stadium yeah our stadium is small it's quaint it's nice but it's very it's up to date you know we have a brand new video uh board there uh very state-of-the-art board there we have turf does jackson state have turf um we actually have brick siding do you guys have that and you know i don't want to be petty but seriously i mean let's just be honest here those Jackson State uniforms, honestly, and Reek already said it, said they look like little dirty uniforms, just like those little kids you see in them little uniforms out in front of Walmart or out under the expressway, you know, selling little 35-cent donuts so you can donate to help, <laughs> help them, I don't know, play a little youth league, you know. That's what Jackson State uniforms look like. But don't ever. Come at Hampton with this BS, you know? Seriously, bro. I mean, it, it's so stupid and it's so petty and you do this all the time. And our th- and our record against you is, what, 3-0. and So, shut up. Don't say another word.
0: Nice end to the show. I don't have any shout-outs. That says it all for me, yeah? So, that's Tiger Pride over at the MIAC fans, man. Smacking Hampton in our in our in our stadium. But the, they got their own issues to worry about. So, But, man, hey, this is a pretty good show. And uh, we'll be back sometime, probably in the new year, to talk about Hampton as they jump into Miac basketball. So, as always, dope talking to you, Hamptonite. Go Pirates. Go Pirates, yeah.